and welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind, with the permission of the Worcester News, and recorded on Thursday the 24th of January 2019, here in Colin Chance House, Worcester. I'm Evelyn Brock, I'm the editor for this evening, and with me to read the news articles are Paddy Fellows, Hugh Thomas, Kate Hudman, and our sound engineer is Duncan Wynne, our clerical assistant, Carol Hartle. A warm welcome to all listeners, especially new ones. I hope everyone enjoys our offering. In addition to news items, you'll hear some useful telephone numbers, readers' letters, birthdays and obituaries, on this day and thought for the week. Do let us know your birthday, by the way, so that we can greet you specially when the time comes. This service is free to users, but if you wish to make a voluntary donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5 1DA. We do like hearing from you, and a message can be left on our answer phone. 01905767766 or add a note to your wallet. We ask listeners that if there's a problem with any aspect of your receiving your recording, please use that answer phone on the number I've just given and leave a message to that effect and we'll do our very best to sort it. Right, the headlines for the week just gone by. Friday, January the 18th, transgender woman murdered, in inverted commas. Saturday, January the 19th, tonsillitis kills great dad, aged 37. Monday the 21st of January, sex offender spared crushing jail term. Tuesday, two headlines of equal balance. First of all, Seven people in acid attack plot on toddler. And secondly, students' inquest to be held. Wednesday the 23rd of January, Tom's final moments. And Thursday the 24th of January, triple child killer banned from city forever. So I'll now ask each of our readers to introduce themselves and read the headline articles. Hello, I'm Hugh and I'm reading from the uh, edition on Friday, January the 18th. A transgender woman who died in a suspected murder has been described as a hero of the LGBT community. Amy Griffiths was discovered dead at her flat in Chalverton Court, Droitwich, on Monday. Police said she had suffered head and throat injuries. Martin Saberi, aged 53, was charged with murdering Amy, whose name was also given in court as Michael Griffiths. Saberi is due to appear at Worcester Crown Court today. That was on Monday. Uh, Connor Turner, one of Amy's friends, said the 51-year-old was a hero in the local LGBT community. He added, She didn't have a selfish bone in her body. She helped me through some difficult times when I was younger. 
I knew her from when I was 15 years old. I ended up on the streets for a bit. She found me outside a local shopping market and offered to cook me tea. Our friendship blossomed and she taught me how to love myself and care for myself. At the time, I was coming out as a bisexual. I was absolutely devastated when I heard about her death. I'm heartbroken. Mr Turner, who works at the Bell Inn in St John's, was told by a friend that Amy used to be in the military and also had been married. The 21-year-old barman said, Amy helped people with their drag acts and loved cats, reptiles and air rifles. He added that Amy frequented the Flag nightclub in Lowesmore when he worked there. Another friend of Amy's, Mike Davis, aged 24, said she was a reserved, well-mannered woman. He added, we live in the same apartment complex in Worcester. She was just a lovely person with a good sense of humour. We met quite a while ago in 2015, and Amy lived with her girlfriend at the time. She transitioned before I met her. Mr Davis, who now lives in Starport, said he was shocked when he found out on Wednesday that Amy had died. The barber also believed Amy had previously been married and had at least one child. A carer who works at Chalverton Court told the Worcestershire News that they saw police tape at the property on Tuesday morning. They added that a forensic tent was set up in the evening. The carer said, It's only old people that live here. This is the first time we have seen something like this in Droitwich. A 52-year-old resident of Alderbrook Road, Droitwich, added, I saw her at the bus stop. We exchanged pleasantries. She seemed friendly. She said good morning. It's very sad. The only time we see police and ambulance up here is if someone's taken poorly. I never expected this. Police said Amy suffered head and throat injuries and was declared dead at the scene on Monday. Officers were searching the area around her home yesterday. Sir Barry of Brackley Close, Wallington, Surrey, was held in custody yesterday but failed to appear at a hearing in Kidderminster Magistrates Court. The hearing went ahead in his absence and he will appear in Worcester Crown Court today. A spokesman for West Mercia Homes, which owns Chalverton Court, said, We are shocked and saddened by this incident and our thoughts are with the family and friends of Miss Griffiths at this time. We continue to assist West Mercia Police with their inquiries and we are providing support for our residents at Chalverton Court. Chalverton Court is a social housing scheme which is let to people over the age of 45. It is a block consisting of 41 self-contained flats. West Mercia Homes confirmed that Sabiri was not one of its tenants. A trial date of September the 29th, 2019 has since been set.
Good evening, my name is Kate Hudman and the headline I'm going to read Tonsillitis Kills Great Dad, age 37. This is Saturday, January the 19th. A dad has been described as the life and soul of the party by his son following his sudden death at the age of just 37. Callum Price, aged 21, paid tribute to his dad, Steve Bradley, after he died as a result of a rare complication from tonsillitis. The family and friends of Mr Bradley of Ribble Close, Worcester, are now collecting money for his funeral. Callum of Lilac Avenue, Worcester, said, He was a great dad. I can't fault him. He loved all his kids. We are all going to miss him lots. He was an energetic person, he told jokes to everyone and was the life and soul of the party. When he was younger, he liked playing football. He got into skittles and darts as he got older. Callum said his dad used to work as a barman and at one point ran the bridge pub in Lowesmore Terrace and later fitted windows for autoglass. He added that Mr Bradley was a keen pool player and took part in a league in the city. Callum said his dad called an ambulance in Medway Road, Worcester at around 1.40pm on January the 10th. By the time the paramedics arrived at 2.10pm, he was already dead, according to Callum. The father of seven died from quinsy, a tonsillitis complication resulting in an abscess on a tonsil. Callum, who works at Dunelm in Blackpool, said, I spoke to him the night before and he said he had a bad throat, but that was it. He didn't seem too bad. It was a definite shock. Mr Bradley's lifelong friend, Trudy Gormley, has organised a raffle and a tombola to help raise money for his funeral. She said, Everyone loves Steve. Think of Ant and Deck, mix them up and you've got Steve. He was a huge character in the community. He could walk into any room and make it shine. We are going to miss him dreadfully. We want to give him the very best send-off that we can. Miss Gormley is asking kind-hearted locals to donate raffle and tombola prizes which can be dropped off at the Gun Tavern. The fundraising event will take place at the pub on Saturday, January the 26th between 2pm and 5pm. Mr Bradley is survived by Callum and his five other children, Summer Jean, Brandon, Grant, Isabel and Jackson. His other son, Owen, died from a cot death in 2005. To donate towards Mr Bradley's funeral costs, go to hhps-bit.ly-2 T2RZ2N. The fundraising page has already raised more than £950. For information about buying raffle or tombola tickets, go to www.facebook.com Bradley no, Brad Tolly Army. Hey, I was reading uh, the headline Sex Offender Spared a Crushing Jail Term. <clears throat> A high-risk sex offender who indecently assaulted a three-year-old girl in a supermarket has been spared jail despite repeatedly flouting court orders imposed to protect children. 
Keith Holloway of Worcester thrust his exposed genitals against the girl, filmed under the skirts of young women, and offered a girl of eight an ice pop. telling her she was beautiful and inviting her to use his new shower. But the 65-year-old was not sent to jail by Judge Nicholas Cole at Worcester Crown Court because the most recent breach of his sexual harm prevention order was deemed too minor and because his defence barrister argued that prison would be crushing. It is the fourth time Holloway has breached the same order since it was imposed in September 2017. Three breaches involved his possession of devices, a phone or a laptop, with cameras, and the most serious involved the befriending of a child, the eight-year-old girl. Holloway of Back Lane, South Barbon, failed to tell his offending manager that he had bought a new mobile phone fitted with a camera and was sentenced to Worcester Crown Court on Wednesday. Although he's permitted to have a mobile phone, he did not inform his offender manager he had bought a new one after breaking the old one by dropping it into a sink full of water. Holloway, who walked with a stick, lowered his head in the dock covered his face with his hands and at one stage dabbed his eyes with a tissue. The mobile phone was discovered during an unannounced visit to his home on July the 5th last year by his offender manager. He brought it, bought it in Argos on June the 13th that year. Michael Aspinall, prosecuting, described the defendant's previous convictions. The first dates back to 1984, for sending an obscene article in the post. Holloway was jailed for 51 months on February the 7th, 2003 for indecent assault on a female under 16. Mr Aspinall said Holloway had approached a three-year-old girl in the corner of a supermarket and began thrusting his pelvis into her. He was grabbed by the mother. His penis was exposed, bending, oh, sorry, being confronted, he began crying and say he shouldn't have done it, said Mr. Aspinall. On that occasion, Holloway was detained until police arrived to arrest him. He received a <coughs> sentence of nine months in prison, suspended for two years for outraging public decency on October the 15th, 2007, after he used the camera on his mobile phone to photograph young women under their skirts. They were unaware of his activity, but a passing, passing member of the public reported it to the police, said Mr Aspinall. Holloway was made subject to a sexual offences prevention order for 10 years, but breached that on December the 14th, 2016, when police discovered during a routine visit that the defendant had a tablet which had a camera facility. He was fined for this offence on August the 24th, 2017. As a result of a further breach, Holloway was made subject to a sexual harm prevention order, which was due to last <coughs> until October the 15th, 2027. 
When Holloway was visited again by police, they found he had a mobile phone with a video and camera facility in his hallway, which led to a seven-month prison sentence suspended for 24 months on March the 5th, 2018. He also befriended a girl of eight, giving her two pounds to buy some sweets and also gave her ice pops, telling the girl's mother that her daughter was beautiful and <coughs> inviting her and her daughter to his newly installed shower unit. Mr Aspinall told the court, Holloway told police he did not think it was a breach of the order because the girl's mother was present. Mr Aspinall described the breaching as persistent. Jamie Scott, who was defending, said his client had provided medical evidence that he had been discharged from hospital after a fall, had heart palpitations, suffered from low potassium levels and was on 17 different forms of medication. Mr Scott described possession of the phone as a relatively minor breach and that it did not represent an escalation of matters. He said, It's a breach I hope can be characterised as an honest mistake. I ask for full credit for his guilty plea. It's plain immediate custody would have a crushing effect on someone who is obviously a frail and unwell man. He argued that Holloway's accommodation was a stabilising force in his life and that he would stand to lose that if he was jailed, a view shared by the probation liaison officer. (coughs) His offender manager advised the judge that Holloway was managed as a high risk. Judge Cole said that Holloway had a history of disobedience to court orders, but this latest breach was minor, and that, because of the defendant's health issues, it will be unjust to activate the suspended sentence. Judge Cole sentenced him to a 12-month community order with up to 20 rehabilitation activity days. He imposed a fine of £1,000 and ordered him to pay £350 costs. Both must be discharged within 28 days. Right, it's Evelyn again and I have the first of the two headlines from Tuesday the 22nd of January. Seven people in, quotes, acid attack plot, close quotes, on toddler. Jurors were told that seven people plotted to carry out an acid attack on a three-year-old boy, including the child's own father, as a high-profile trial began yesterday. The defendants denied conspiracy to apply a corrosive fluid with intent when they appeared in the dock in court court one of Worcester Crown Court yesterday afternoon. The alleged acid attack took place at Home Bargains on Shrub Hill Retail Park, Tallow Hill, Worcester, at 2.15pm on July 21st last year. The particulars of the offence are that between June the 1st and July the 22nd last year, they conspired together unlawfully and maliciously to cast or throw at or upon and otherwise apply to a minor a corrosive fluid, namely sulfuric acid, with intent to burn, maim, 
disfigure or disable the said minor or to do grievous bodily harm to him. The jury is expected to start hearing evidence in the six-week trial today after being sworn in yesterday. The case will be heard by Judge Robert Dukes, QC. The defendants are the child's father, who cannot be named for legal reasons, Adam Chech, age 27, of Farnham Road, Birmingham, Jan Dudi, 25, of Cranbrook Road, Birmingham, Jabbar Paktia, 42, of New Hampton Road, Wolverhampton, Norbert Pulko, age 22, of Sutherland Road, London, Said Hussini, 42, of Rotsley Road, London, Martina Badiova, 22, of Newcombe Road, Birmingham. Jonathan Rees, QC, prosecuting, told the jury in waiting... The focus of this case is an attack on a three-year-old boy in a store called Home Bargains, which some of you may know is located in the Shrub Hill retail estate in this very town, Worcester. The allegation is that seven people were were involved in a plot to carry out this attack, which involved the squirting or application of a corrosive fluid, a fluid which turned out to be sulfuric acid, on this three-year-old boy while he was shopping with his siblings and his mother in home bargains on Saturday, July the 21st last year. The jury in waiting was told that the case involved three Afghan defendants, one of them the child's father, three Slovakians and a Czech, all of whom will need interpreters throughout the trial. They were also told the case involved reference to a Worcester primary school, a children's centre outside the city and the Rainbow Casino in Birmingham. The address of the mother of the injured child was also disclosed but cannot be reported for legal reasons. The jury was told the names of some of the people who were in home bargains at the time of the attack and are expected to form part of the evidence to the case and paramedics involved in treating the boy. The jurors in waiting were also asked to look at the defendants after they were asked to stand in the dock to make sure they did not know any of them. A jury of 14 was chosen, two of them not expected to be involved, once the prosecution has concluded the opening of the case. The defendants were remanded in custody. The second front page story from Tuesday the 22nd. Uh, The inquest into the death of Tom Jones is due to begin today. It is set to take place at Worcestershire Coroner's Court today. The 18-year-old University of Worcester student went missing last September after a night. His disappearance prompted a major search before his body was found more than a week later in the River Severn. The Bromsgrove Residence Inquest is set to be held at the court in Starport in front of Coroner Geraint Williams this morning and is scheduled to last one hour. Police initially said his death was being treated as unexplained with the inquest opened and immediately adjourned on October the 3rd. 
Two men were also arrested on suspicion of murder prior to the discovery of Mr. Jones's body, but were released with no further action taken. Friend Harley Hetherington, who helped coordinate the search, set up a Facebook group called Find Jonah, which later became Remember Jonah for people to post their memories. And vigils were held in Worcester and Bromsgrove in the days after his death, with flowers left in memory of Tom on Sabrina Bridge in Worcester. Worcestershire County Council also announced there will be a lasting memorial to the student at Sabrina Bridge as part of refurbishment works being carried out later this year. And now, uh, Kate again. Um, This is uh, more information about uh, Tom uh, and his tragic death. The tragic death of student Tom Jones brought Worcester together and the city will always remember him. The 18-year-old's body was sadly, sadly discovered in the River Severn on September the 28th, following a major search of the, after the University of Worcester student went missing just over a week before. Friend Harley Hetherington helped coordinate an army of volunteer searchers who scoured the city and beyond in the days after Tom's disappearance in the early hours of September the 19th. Tom from Bromsgrove had only moved to Worcester days before uh, he went before he went missing following a night out, but the city quickly adopted him as one of their own. After the discovery of his body, tributes covered Sabrina Bridge and were piled high either side of the River Seven Bank before a candlelit vigil saw hundreds come out to say goodbye. In a particularly poignant moment, everyone turned on their phone torches as Oasis's Wonderwall, a favourite of Tom's, was played. Speaking at the vigil, the teenager's dad, Ian Jones, said, We are absolutely overwhelmed. As parents, we couldn't be any more proud of him and his achievements. David Green, University Vice-Chancellor, said the vigil was the most extraordinary demonstration of love and solidarity for a young man who was clearly outstanding. The Facebook group set up by Harley to help find his long-lost friend, Find Jonah, was changed to Remember Jonah, with friends and family able to share their memories. A petition called for the Sabrina Bridge to be renamed Jonah Bridge, an idea which was considered by local authorities. However, the County Council then announced a different lasting memorial to the student would be incorporated into refurbishing works around the bridge rather than renaming it. Speaking following the inquest on Tuesday, West Mercia Detective Inspector Tony Garner, who led the missing person investigation, said, Tom's death has affected all the community and all of the officers involved in the case very deeply. Today was understandably an emotional day for Tom's family and our sympathies remain with his family and his friends. Coroner Garant Williams could not contain his emotions and cried during the inquest as he looked at a photo of Tom. Did Tom hear a cry for help? This is another headline. Student Tom Jones may have gone towards the river in which he drowned after hearing a cry for help, an inquest heard. 
the 18-year-old disappeared in the early hours of September the 19th last year, just days after starting at the University of Worcester, with his body then being found in the River Severn on September the 28th. Coroner Geraint Williams, who became overwhelmed with emotion during the 30-minute hearing at Worcestershire's Coroner's Court yesterday, said a post-mortem had given the cause of death as drowning. Whilst looking at a photo of Tom, Mr Williams cried before composing himself to say, I've been doing this job for 30 years and it still gets to me. The 14-page autopsy report, compiled by pathologist Dr Charlotte Randall, showed Tom of Samsara Road, Bromsgrove, had roughly the same amount of alcohol in his system as someone twice over the drink-drive limit. Blood and urine samples were taken and a toxicology analysis said the level of alcohol in his blood would have led to a significant intoxication in a social drinker. Addressing Tom's parents, Ian and Vicky Jones, the coroner said the report indicated no evidence of any pre-existing natural disease that could have contributed to your son ending up in the river. He said there was also no evidence of any third-party involvement in the incident. PC Chris Buffery told the inquest that investigating officers had two theories as to how Tom may have found himself in the River Severn, but emphasised these were only speculative. The first is that he had gone to the river to use the toilet, and with no barrier between the water and the bank, he fell into the river. The second relates to a shout for help, which was picked up by the BBC Hereford and Worcester Building CCTV audio on Hilton Road. PC Buffery said Tom's parents, having listened to the audio, confirmed it was not their son's voice. The officer said perhaps Tom also heard that shout and had gone to the bank to see if anyone was in need of assistance and has become a person in need himself. Mr Williams said, sadly, there is no evidence as to precisely what was going on. However, he said he favoured the second hypothesis because having heard a great deal about Tom's character, he believed he would have tried to help someone he thought was distressed. He theorised that he went down to the river's edge and slipped or fell, while the amount of alcohol in his system may have debilitated him. Mr Williams said that however Tom ended up in the river, he would have died very quickly. The coroner, in summarising Tom's known movements and activities in the hours before he went missing, said he had been socialising and consumed alcohol and at some point walked home alone. Although CCTV places him at certain points at certain times, which is corroborated with data from his mobile phone, there comes a stage when he passes out of range of any cameras. Tom was picked up by the BBC's cameras and those at the Worcester News, but the next one, a 100 metres along Hilton Road, does not capture him, said the coroner. On the same camera, other people are seen passing one camera and appearing on the next, he explained, theorising that it was at this point that he must have entered the water. There's no evidence of third party or wrongdoing. There's no evidence to suggest anything at all, he continued. Mr Jones probably went down to urinate or because CCTV audio showed someone calling for help and he has gone down to the river to see if he could assist. 
The inquest heard that a chemical was found which indicates that he had traces of cocaine in his system, but that it was a very, very low concentration, which was likely consumed through passive inhalation or through inadvertent contact, meaning Tom did not take the drug himself, but likely came into contact with someone who had, said Mr Williams. The coroner went on to say... In terms of the conclusion, in order to reach any of the usual conclusions, evidence is required and I have to be satisfied that evidence is more likely than not to be true. I must think about all various conclusions. We don't have any sufficient conclusions for me to say whether it was an accident or anything else. I think likely that your boy heard someone calling for help and went to help but slipped and fell in. There isn't any evidence about what happened on the riverbank. Mr Williams gave an open conclusion. Having summarised, he addressed Mr and Mrs Jones to say, I am older than you are. Please do not think this impertinent. This will never go away for you. But it gets easier to live with. And that is all we can hope for. Please accept my condolences. In a short statement to the press following the inquest, Tom's dad, Ian, who requested that he and his family were not photographed or videoed, said, We accept the findings and conclusion from today's hearing. The past few months have been unbearably difficult trying to come to terms with life without Tom, and we very much appreciate the overwhelming support and respect from all involved, including the media, during this time and trust this will remain whilst we continue to rebuild our lives and work around the devastating loss of Tom. My next headline is from today's paper, <clears throat> and it's headed Child Killer Ban from City on Release from Jail. A child murderer dubbed the monster of Worcester will be banned from returning to the city upon his release from prison. Killer David McGreevy has not yet been released, but when he is, he will not ever be allowed to return to Worcester, according to the city's MP, Robin Walker. Mr Walker moved to reassure residents after the news that McGreevy had been given parole, caused an outcry from the public. McGreevy has served... 46 years in prison for killing three young children at their Gillam, Gillam Street home in Worcester before impaling their bodies outside on a neighbour's fence. Many city residents remember the shocking crime and when his imminent release was revealed, they argued that McGreevy should never be freed. Mr Walker said he had met with other chief executives of the parole board to raise the serious concerns of the case after the parole announcement. It was an appalling crime and I believe McGreevy should not be released at all, Mr Walker said. However, we must accept the parole board having made their decision. We have been assured multiple reports have taken place and psychotic assessments have been done on McGreevy to ensure that he's no longer a risk. There will be restrictions on him coming back to Worcester. He will not be allowed to contact the victim's family members or witnesses of the murders in Gillam Street. Obviously, many of those still remain in Worcester However, we have been assured he will not be able to return. Mr Walker said that McGreevy 
age 67, had been monitored, monitored every 20 years by psychologists and the evidence was assessed based on the risks of his release. Today, a judge can order a criminal to serve a whole life sentence, but this was not the case when McGreevy was sentenced in 1973. He was given multiple life sentences with an order to serve a minimum of 20 years. Mr Walker said the parole board must work within their legal mandate. Since the appalling event, <coughs> the law has been changed and his sentence has expired. If crimes of this nature happened today, they would get a life sentence. A life sentence should mean life. I'm still raising objections on how I feel, and I do not believe the individual should be released. We will continue working to maximise pressures. It is now in the hands of the Ministry of Justice for his release plan. We need to make sure that the licensing conditions are tough. Based on accountable reports, the parole board has said that the individual is not considered a risk. Mr Walker said there are a number of conditions attached to McGreevy's release, including that he must reside at a designated address, comply with an enhanced form of supervision and monitoring, respect a specific, specified curfew, and comply with other identified limitations regarding contacts and activities. And Miss, so far, Mr. McGreevy's release date has not been confirmed. And there are the horrible pictures. Of, I don't know how many of us can remember the murders. Yes. I, can't, I had a Herring. child of a few months old at the time. Mm. It was absolutely appalling. Right, may I have your... Um, I think the one that really got to me, not just that, was that. And now some sports articles, first of all from Hugh. Worcester City goalkeeper Matt Gwynn is vying for international recognition after being called up for England's blind squad. The 26-year-old is one of three keepers, the only position in the team that is permitted to be fully sighted given the nod by boss John Pugh, a former colleague of Gwynne's at Hereford-based Westfields. It will involve going to England's base at St George's Park on Friday, February the 8th, for a three-day camp, which finishes with a friendly on the Sunday. And the opportunity, which is only open to semi-professional players, has whet Gwynne's appetite with this year's European Championships in Rome and the World Championship in Tokyo in 2020 on the horizon. When I signed for Westfields about seven years ago, the keeper there at the time played for the blind team and has gone on to become manager, said Gwynne. He has been on at me for ages about it, but there will be three keepers, including me. All of the outfield players are at least 50% blind, but all the keepers are fully sighted. I went up a couple of weeks ago to training at the Royal National College for the Blind in Hereford. It was to see what I thought and whether it was something I would want to do. 
It was really enjoyable, and I was so impressed with how good the lads are. It's a completely different game on a small-sided pitch, and there is a bell in the ball. The close control is key for them. It was surprising how good they are and have to be. We will be staying up at St George's Park, which is great, and there are a lot of opportunities coming up. They train there most of the time and play in the World and European Championships and Paralympics. I've had a look online and to experience this is something I would not have been able to to otherwise to do otherwise. It's a great opportunity and there is the chance it might lead to other doors opening. Gwyn made his first city appearance since September the 8th at Studley in the Midland Football League Cup last week, having recovered from complications arising from a hand injury suffered last season. During that time, Sam Gilder has nailed down the number one jersey after initial first choice Dan Jessef got suspended for the rest of the season. My plan has always been to stay here, added Quinn. Sam is in at the moment and doing well. I just hope to get a chance and then it's down to me to keep the place. I don't want to go anywhere else. I'm happy to fight for my place. I hasten to add that that sort of football with blind players is not to be confused with goalball, which the Prince of Wales, on observing it once, referred to as the most dangerous thing in sport I've ever seen. Now cricket. Teen ace happy to be an older head. Adam Finch is relishing tackling the challenges that will confront a pace bowler in the subcontinent after flying to Bangladesh as part of the England Young Lions squad. The Worcestershire bowler, 18, is now one of the more experienced members of the 15-strong party, which will take on the host nation in two tests, the three ODIs and one T. 20i from late January to the middle of February. He made his debut at under 19 level for his country versus India during the summer of 2017 and has since played in the 2018 ICC World Cup, a home series against South Africa, and been part of a pre Christmas training camp in Bangalore. Finch picked up eight wickets against the Proteas on his last test appearance at the Emirates Riverside, but is prepared for different sorts of conditions in which to bowl during the next few weeks. I've never been to this part of the world, Bangladesh, to play competitively, so it's going to be really interesting to test myself in what I think it is fair to say is a less SEMA-friendly environment, Finch said. It's something I'm looking forward to, and if you do well in these conditions, it can only stand you in good stead. Hopefully, you will come back to England having learned a few things which, if Worcestershire play on a flat surface, can help me here as well. That will be a good challenge. Finch is willing to impart the experience he has gained at under-19 level to other members of the squad. I think I'm classed as one of the old boys in the squad now, 
which is a bit concerning because it feels like it wasn't too long ago that I made my debut, Finch said. It will be a nice experience to be one of those older heads and hopefully have a positive impact on the team from a leadership perspective. Finch played against Bangladesh during the 2018 World Cup in Queenstown and was England's most successful bowler with 2.36 in a five-wicket defeat. New Zealand was a completely different kind of conditions bowling-wise to what you expect to find in Bangladesh, he said. I will take a bit of experience from playing against them, the kind of shots they favour. But maybe it was a little more helpful with the ball swinging and seaming around, which I'm not sure we will get in Bangladesh. Stacking as many deliveries as you can on a good line and length and trying to challenge the stumps as frequently as possible is going to be really key. Then, if you can get any movement from there, or a batter makes a mistake, then you are in good stead to get an LBW or hopefully caught behind or bowled. To try and bring as many modes of dismissal, I think, is really important out there. Finch and the Young Lions prepared for nearly three weeks in Bangalore before Christmas. And now on this day, some events and anniversaries from January the 24th in years gone by. AD 41, on the 24th of January, the mad Roman emperor Caligula was assassinated. AD 76, the Roman Emperor Hadrian was born. Seems to be a popular date back in Rome, doesn't it? It was on his orders that Hadrian's Wall was built in Britain to, and I quote, so sorry to all Scots, to separate the Romans from the barbarians. <laughs> 1670, William Congreve, English playwright, was born near Leeds. 1848, James Marshall discovered gold at Sutter's Sawmill in California to spark the Great Gold Rush. 1916, conscription was introduced in Britain. 1922, the first performance of William Walton's Facade took place in the Sitwell family drawing room in Carlisle Square, London. 1935, canned beer went on sale for the first time, made by Kruger Brewery of Richmond, Virginia. 1965, Sir Winston Churchill died aged 90. His father, Lord Randolph Churchill, had died on the same date, 70 years earlier. And I well remember being a student and watching the great funeral of the statesman um, in, in the common room where I was staying. 1976, Margaret Thatcher was dubbed the Iron Lady in the Soviet newspaper Red Star after a speech about the communist threat. 1986, staff of the Sun and News of the World newspapers were told they were moving to London's Docklands, the start of a press exodus from Fleet Street. And 1997, the Archers celebrated its 12,000th episode. The Radio 4 series drew an average 4.5 million listeners each week. Great. Mm. Incidentally, 
On this day last year, a music lover who graduated four months ago had paid off his student debts and was ready to pursue his dream of working with touring rock bands after winning one million pounds on the Euro millions. And now for Thought for the Week, read for us by Hugh. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice. Thank you, Hugh. And now the death announcements from the last week. I'll start. Marianne, Mrs. A. Acock, passed away peacefully on December the 28th, 2018, aged 96 years. Funeral service at St. Martin's Church on Wednesday, January the 30th at 2.15pm, followed by committal at Worcester Crematorium. Rose Ashton, Died peacefully on January the 13th, 2019, aged 62 years, with her husband Bill at her side. Funeral service will take place on Tuesday, January the 29th, at Parish Church of St John's the Baptist, Knighton, Isle of Wight, at 12.45pm. Mary Brodie Jenkins, retired head of St Mary's Convent Junior School. Sadly passed away on January the 9th, 2019, aged 85 years. Hawker, Terence John Terry Hawker, passed away peacefully at Worcestershire Royal Hospital on January the 11th, 2019, aged 77 years. A funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, February the 1st, 2019, at 1pm. John Omani passed away peacefully in St Richard's Hospice. Funeral service has already taken place. Donald John Wilfred Don Price passed away peacefully at home on January the 6th, 2019, aged 90 years. A service to celebrate John's, Don's life will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, January the 30th at 12.15. Leonard Len Walker passed away peacefully on January the 14th, 2019, aged 88 years. Funeral service to take place at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, January the 31st at 12.15. And I omitted to say that the service to celebrate the life of Mary Brodie Jenkins will take place at the Church of St. Michael and All Angels, Martin Hussingtree, at 11am on Friday, February the 1st, 2019, before committal at Worcester Crematorium at 12.15. Uh, this one is uh, Gertrude, known as Brenda Goodyear, passed away peacefully at Worcestershire Royal Hospital on January the 5th, aged 91 years. 
Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, January the 30th at 11.30am. Joan Bedford passed away peacefully on January the 14th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, February the 1st at 1.45pm. Gwen Kite, MBE, uh, Nee Rawlings, sadly passed away at Worcester Royal Hospital on Wednesday, January the 9th, aged 90 years. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, January the 31st at 2.30. Edna May Wilde sadly passed away peacefully at Worcester Royal Hospital on Friday, December the 28th, 2018, aged 98. A service to celebrate Edna's life will be held at St. Philip's and St. James Church in Hallow on Thursday, January the 31st at 12.30, followed by a committal at Worcester Crematorium at 1.45. Eric Davis passed peacefully away on January the 1st, 2019, aged 74 years. His funeral service has taken place. Dulcie Marianne, known as D. Fellows, passed away peacefully at Courthouse Nursing Home, Malvern, on January the 15th, aged 91 years. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, January the 31st, at 11.30am. Joyce McTiernan passed away peacefully at St Richard's Hospice on January the 1st, aged 76 years. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, January the 28th at 12.15pm. Paul James O'Shea of Worcester passed away peacefully at home on January the 5th, aged 70 years. The funeral service has already taken place. Steve Prosser, also known as Binge, passed away peacefully on January the 6th, aged 65, surrounded by his loving family. His funeral service has also taken place. Daisy Pugh, Nee Bellwood, passed away peacefully at Regent's Court Care Home on Tuesday, December the 25th, aged 94 years. Her service has also taken place. Royston or Roy Fletcher? Roy, late of Norton Road, Worcester, passed away peacefully in hospital at Sutton Coalfield on December the 30th, 2018, aged 83, and the funeral has already taken place. Gladys Patricia Pat Hooper passed away peacefully on the 1st of January, 2019, aged 90 years, and there's going to be a private service and cremation uh, at a later date, but they don't give any other details. Molly Penson, former manager of Magist Worcester Magistrates Court and Deputy Register of Marriages, Births and Deaths at Droitwich, passed away peacefully at home on January the 4th, 2019, aged 77 years. The funeral will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, January the 29th at 1pm. Wallace 
Oh, wait a minute. Um, this is Shirley Louise Prothero, and then there's Wallace in uh, brackets. Former director of hospital nursing serving the Worcester Health District, formerly of Latina Court Care Home, previously Sansom Place. Shirley passed away peacefully after a short illness at the Worcestershire Royal Hospital on Wednesday, January the 2nd, 2019, aged 85 years. The funeral will be held at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, January the 29th at 1.45pm. Barbara Rose Sanders passed away peacefully on January the 11th 2019, aged 86 years. The funeral will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, January the 28th at 11.30am. That's mine. Thank you, Paddy. There are no birthdays to report this week, sadly. So now a selection from the letters pages from this last week. I'm starting off with a letter from Neil Lawrenson, Green Party councillor, St. Stephen Ward. Sir, Worcester City Council will soon be setting its annual budget for 2019 to 20. In the past 10 years, the money from the government to the council has been cut by 47%. Over that time, I have written several letters to this newspaper about the cuts and encouraged councillors at meetings to request more funding from the government. In the local government association magazine first this uh, this month, Lord Porter, a conservative, called for the government to use this year's spending review to deliver a sustainable long-term funding settlement for local government. Traditionally, much of council income came from central government. There is a £3.1 billion funding gap for councils in 2019-20. to Instead of expecting people to continually pay more council tax for less, the government needs to support councils by funding them properly. And my second article is from an MP, Nigel Huddleston. After an enjoyable and restorative Christmas break, I'm pleased to be back in Westminster for what's set to be another interesting year. Brexit is, perhaps unsurprisingly, continuing to dominate events here, but I've managed to raise a number of other issues with government ministers too in recent weeks. I highlighted the important work being done by Cropthorn-based charity APT, Action for Poverty, to help women in Africa and Asia to start their own businesses and ask the Work and Pensions Secretary for assurances that she'll continue to take an evidence-based approach to the universal credit rollout. I also asked the Defence Secretary what training is being provided to the armed forces to prepare for future attacks like the one in Salisbury. Outside the chamber, I met with the schools minister to discuss funding of local schools and the link with social mobility. I continue to receive a lot of feedback on the Brexit withdrawal agreement and opinion across the constituency remains extremely mixed. While the proposed deal is far from perfect, I voted in support of the withdrawal agreement when it was brought to a vote earlier this month. During the debates about the deal in Parliament, I raised concerns about the backstop but pointed out that any backstop would need to be mutually uncomfortable 
so there is an incentive for both sides to get out of it. I also raise the fact that the agreement gives reassurance to the thousands of EU citizens who live in Worcestershire that they are welcome and will have a right to stay after Brexit. I was also pleased when the Prime Minister announced the waiving of the fee for the EU nationals applying for settled status. As most readers will be aware, a majority of MPs voted against the deal and the Prime Minister is now working with MPs from all parties as well as other EU leaders to try and reach a consensus on what changes are needed in order to pass the deal through the House. I cannot say with any certainty what the outcome of the next vote will be but will base my decision on what I genuinely believe will be the most beneficial to my mid-Worcestershire constituents and the country as a whole. OK, this might be a good time to um, go and make a cup of tea because a couple of more letters about Brexit, I'm afraid, <laughs> which uh, makes me even more baffled as to why they decided to have a, a referendum in the first place. However, first one is from PC Thompson of Worcester. Sir, Mr Gary Kibblewhite believes that Mr Robin Walker, our Member of Parliament, has a duty to cast his votes in the House of Commons in accordance with the wishes of his Worcester constituents. This is an inaccurate view of the duties of an MP. An MP is not a delegate to carry out tamely the wishes of the voters he represents. Nearly 250 years ago, Edmund Burke wrote, Your representative owes you not his industry only, but his judgment, and he betrays instead of serving you if he sacrifices it to your opinion. Since Mr Walker is a member of the government, his only alternative to supporting the government in last week's vote was to resign. Indeed, he might have made that choice, although he didn't. But to have made that choice, resigned from the government and voted against the deal because he thought his constituents would wish him to do so, would have been a disgraceful dereliction of his true duty, which is to vote according to his own judgment, rather than as he thinks his constituents wish. If Mr Kibblewhite wants MPs who are poodles, he is living in the wrong country. <clears throat> Here's another one from Tom Piotrowski, who is a member of Worcester for Europe. Sir, my reply to Robin's statement in press. Dear Robin, Brexit itself is a massive distraction. Of course this can be resolved, Robin. There is already a silent majority in Parliament for the best deal of them all, and that is membership of the EU. MPs need to find courage to express that view which they hold in their hearts and minds. They need courage to do what's best for Britain. I believe the majority of Worcester constituents supports remaining in the EU, not leaving it. We all have seen what leaving means, and we will have meant and thus a clear change of mind on that confirmed by YouGov poll and our conversations on the streets stroke Brexitometers. As for getting on with trade talks, EU did that job on behalf of the UK already, 
A massive deal with Canada to enable transatlantic trade has been signed. The same with the new trade deal between EU and Japan, which is the biggest of its kind and covers one-third of global GDP. The government should get on with the business of governing the country and leave the Brexit distraction behind. We need to address the climate breakdown, NHS crisis, lack of investment in infrastructure and sustainable energy. Putin's policy to break up European Union and solidarity. Those are the real issues worth grappling with. None of the frustrations expressed by Vote Leave cannot be addressed within our current EU membership. They are either internal and related to austerity policies, or, even better, can be solved with the help of European friends. Please do what's right for this city and our country, and urge PM to revoke Article 50 in our national interest. If needed, our commitment to staying with our European friends can be confirmed in the people's vote. As for European Parliament elections in May, brilliant! Let's get on with those and elect people capable of representing our true interests here in Worcestershire in Europe. And who says EU is undemocratic, by the way? Change of subject, you'll be pleased to know. Um, heading for this letter is, is it the right time for the Duke of Edinburgh to give up driving? The much-publicised car crash involving the 97-year-old Duke of Edinburgh has quite naturally set tongues wagging, particularly with the question, is he too old to be driving? This is one that is always good for getting a polarised debate going, with one side insisting that older drivers should be subject to regular medical checks to ensure they are fit to be behind the wheel, and the other lamenting the loss of freedom and independence that would be caused if more senior motorists were to be deprived of their licences. Naturally, of course, there is some truth on both sides. More experienced drivers are, on the whole, safer than younger ones, especially young men in their teens and early twenties, and this is reflected in various insurance premiums that are charged. But there is no denying that advancing age is accompanied by all sorts of unwelcome symptoms, such as increasingly poor eyesight and hearing, slower reactions and mobility difficulties that mean it is more difficult to operate the car's controls. There is currently no legal age at which you must stop driving, although motorists over 70 have to renew their licences and are strongly urged to consult their GPs if they have any doubts at all about their fitness. There is no doubt that it can be difficult to tell an elderly person, particularly a parent, that they should no longer be driving. It can feel as though they're telling, you're telling him, him or her that they are past it and of course many people hate having their driving skills questioned. Is anyone thinking this way in the royal household right now? Of course, Prince Philip has it easier than most of the rest of us since he's wealthy enough to hire a chauffeur or any number of chauffeurs for that matter. In fact, one wonders whether he has not already done so. That's a luxury the rest of us don't have. Of course, this whole issue may be completely moot in a few years if the promoters of the autonomous car concept are correct. But whether they are correct or whether they are living in a technological fantasy world, it is a question for another time. 
uh, at a, a letter from Liz Smith, a former Worcester councillor from 1990 to 2015, about planning laws. I write to comment on the letter, uh, Will Homes Plan Prevent Link, on January the 17th, about the difficulties of citing any future completion of a western bypass, especially in view of the proposed housing development. I am not a supporter of completing the ring road under present circumstances. However, I do accept that should the city continue to expand in the future, completion may become necessary. I was a member of the SWDP working group a few years ago when this housing site was under discussion as an urban extension to Worcester. I argued that a route for a future road should be identified and protected from development. This for precisely the reasons given in the letter. However, we were told that this was legally not possible, the argument being that no landowner could be compelled to leave land underdeveloped and therefore losing money for a road which does not feature in the current plan, the SWDP, a great failure in the structure of this country's planning laws. <coughs> this one is from B. Stocker of Hereford, and it obviously refers to a previous letter from uh, Mrs. N. Taylor and Griffiths. So, sitting in my dentist's waiting room for treatment, I read N. Taylor's letter with sincere interest. True, the people's vote should be upheld despite misleading claims about more money for the NHS and so on. <coughs> The PM has insisted all along that there will be no new referendum, so what's Mr Taylor's beef? The one absolute certainty is we must leave it in an orderly manner, fully prepared for a transition so as little harm is done to our economy, jobs and so on. If that means we need more time to work out an agreement with the EU or even prepare properly for a no deal, as we are totally unprepared for this now, then so be it, as we cannot risk livelihoods of UK people one jot. We live in a precarious world <coughs> in which the UK needs to tre tread carefully despite the attitude of the Tory hard right. Now, here's something cheerful. The first-class treatment from Pete Whitcomb. So, on December 27th, my mother was admitted to the Worcestershire Royal Hospital with a serious chest infection and other complications. She spent, in whole, two weeks in the hospital, most of which was on the Laurel II ward. I would just like to thank all the doctors and nurses for their impeccable treatment they gave to my mother. It was first class. <clears throat> Can I also comment on how spotlessly clean the wards and the corridors were? My mother has now returned home, recovering well. So that's nice to know. <laughs> and now some articles from the Worcester News during the week. The first one, Royal Mail payout after, after spastic jibe. Royal Mail has apologised to a dad and given him compensation after a postman called his disabled daughter a spastic. James Beresford, 35, and his two-year-old daughter Sophie, who suffers from cerebral palsy, 
and a condition which affects her windpipe, were trying to park outside Malvern Link Post Office when they saw a Royal Mail van in a disabled space. When Mr Beresford raised the issue, the driver told him that he was loading and as a Royal Mail driver, he had the right to park wherever he wanted. Mr Beresford said he then explained that the spot was only for drivers with a disabled badge and showed him the one allocated to Sophie, to which the Royal Mail employee laughed and told him to F off and man up. Malvern resident Mr Beresford, who works in Worcester, said the driver then began filming him and Sophie with his mobile phone while laughing at them and calling the toddler spastic. After the incident, Royal Mail sent a letter to Mr Beresford apologising for the distress he and Sophie, who has tracheosophageal fistula, TEF, suffered as well as a compensatory cheque of £250. The letter says, following our investigations into the December the 10th incident, on behalf of Royal Mail, I would like to apologise for the distress and upset this has caused you and your daughter. Furthermore, our drivers should never park in a disabled bay, and this stipulation forms part of the training they receive. In relation to the employee concerned, he is receiving additional training to reinforce these points. And a precaution, as a precaution, the wider office has also been reminded of our policy around disabled parking bays. When asked if he was happy with the result of the investigation, Mr Beresford said, it is a bit of a case of yes and no, to be honest. I'm happy that the matter has been dealt with, but I have had numerous people say I used my daughter's disability as a tool for free attention. Work will begin at the start of February on the final phase of duelling the Southern Link Road. The work on Teamside Way between the Ketch and Powick roundabouts includes a new river bridge and a viaduct and causeway stretching over 1.5 kilometres. A security fence will be built on the southern side of Teamside Way between the Carrington Bridge and the Powick Roundabout with temporary traffic lights in place. Deep joy. At the same time as the fence installation, vegetation from the southern side of the road will be removed as the new two-lane road will be built on this side. This removal of vegetation is in line with the planning permission for this phase of work and needs to be completed before the bird nesting season. Councillor Ken Pollock of Worcestershire County Council said the timing of these works is vital so that the main works on the final phase of the scheme can start in spring. I'm looking forward to sharing more details about this final phase which includes the building of a new Carrington Bridge next to the current bridge as we get closer to the start date. To enable the lane closure over a short distance of road, temporary traffic lights will be in operation overnight from 9pm to 5am the following morning, starting on the evening of Tuesday, February for up to three weeks. Overnight closures during the first week will be on Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, February 5th, 6th and 7th. 
During the following weeks, the works will continue nightly starting at 9pm on Sundays, Mondays, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday nights. Keep up to date with the progress. Visit worcestershire.gov.uk slash SLR. Service for Musician. Renowned musician Donald Hunt made a final farewell to the city as he planned his own Thanksgiving service. Donald Hunt, who served as Master of Choristers and Organist at Worcester Cathedral for 20 years, detailed the service in the last conversation he had with his son Tom before he died aged 88 in August. Tom, who organised the service, said he laid out the whole service from start to finish. He also left a file on the computer for me to find. More than 500 people attended the service. It was brilliant. Although Dad wrote out what he wanted, I still had to bring it together, but it came together very well. Tom, who spent three months organising the service, said, I can now breathe again. The service on Saturday at Worcester Cathedral included musicians who had been connected with Dr Hunt throughout his life from time in Gloucester, Leeds and Worcester. Five choirs took place, the St Peter's Singers from Leeds, the St. C- St. C- oh, sorry, excuse me, the St Cecilia Singers from Gloucester, which Donald Hunt set up, the Worcester Festival Chorus and the Elgar Chorale from Worcester, which he also started, and the Worcester Cathedral Choir. The choir sang two pieces, the final section from Elgar's Dream of Garantius, with Alan Fares singing solo parts, and Adrian Partington, Gloucester Cathedral Choir Master conducting, and the Alleluia Chorus from Handel's Messiah. The eulogy was read by a close friend, Dr Roy Massey, former organist at Hereford Cathedral. Poems were read by friends Dr Harkup and William Carslake, a former choir boy from Dr Hunt's Day, and the Dean of Worcester gave a reading. Musicians who had been connected with Dr Hunt played solos, Raymond Johnson <coughs> from Minneapolis, Simon Lindley from Leeds and Paul Trept from Ely Cathedral. Dr James Lancelot, Interim Director of Music at Worcester Cathedral, conducted the items sung by the Worcester Cathedral Choir. During his long association with the city, Dr Hunt also served as Artistic Director and Conductor at the Three Choirs Festival on eight occasions. He leaves a wife, Jo, and four children, Jacqueline, Tom, Nick and Jane. I have a Newcomer of the Year award, a picture of Abby Taylor from Stanley Road Primary School, who won the award for 2018. A primary school teacher won Newcomer of the Year award at the Worcester News Education Awards in 2018. Abby Taylor, a teacher who's from Stanley Road Primary School in Worcester, was announced the winner of the award. The category for Newcomer of the Year celebrates the achievement of those who are new into the profession. The Worcester News is working in partnership with the University of Worcester for the third year running for the Worcestershire Education Awards and they are a celebration of recognising the quality of teaching in the education fields across the county. 
Nominations are now open for people to put forward nominees and state why they feel the individual should be recognised for an award. There are 12 categories. Early Years Education Award, Community Involvement Award, Primary Stroke Middle School of the Year, Head Teacher Stroke Principal of the Year, Secondary School of the Year Teacher, Lecturer of the Year, College or Post-18 Education and Training Provider. Newcomer of the Year, Several no, Special Education Needs Award, Support Staff of the Year, Independent School of the Year and Unsung Hero. The public, teachers, students and staff can nominate their individual or organisation. Those who make the finalists lists will be invited to a black tie gala evening with a reception, meal and inspirational speakers. Before announcing the winners, the audience will have the opportunity to hear the finalists' stories and background on why they had been nominated. The deadline for nominations is April the 18th. Finalists are chosen by a panel of judges and winners are announced during an awards ceremony at the University Arena on June the 20th. For more, see worcesternews.co.uk forward slash awards <coughs> forward slash Worcestershire Education dot awards. So that's how you, uh, you get noticed. And another positive article in terms of employment and also creativity. Arches to become culture hub for the city. Worcester's railway arches are set to be transformed into a new cultural destination for the city, providing a hub for creative businesses and the arts. The Secretary of State for Digital, Culture, Media and Sport, Jeremy Wright MP, has awarded £3 million in funding to the £4.5 million project from its Cultural Development Fund. This will be used to create a new gateway for the city, following the line of the Victorian arches from Fourgate Street Railway Station to the Hive and the River Severn. Eight of the arches will be refurbished, becoming affordable work and creative spaces with the aim of creating a cultural destination for tourists and residents. A leadership and entrepreneurial skills programme will be developed to encourage graduates and others to find employment and start a business with 67 new, new jobs created and over 500 training places. A festivals hub will be established in the Arches, delivering festivals and cultural events across Worcester. The Arches will also host an information point for tourists visiting the city and continue to be a home for independent retail and food businesses. The project will include improvements to the Arches area, including new lighting and surfacing of the walkway. The funding bid was prepared by Worcester Cultural Partnership, which will match it with a further £1.5 million. The partnership is led by Worcester City Council and comprises the University of Worcester, Severn Arts, Network Rail, Worcestershire Arts Partnership, Worcestershire County Council and local businesses, including Burger Shop, A Rule of Tum, Method Roastery and The Hive. 
Councillor Mark Bayliss, leader of Worcester City Council, said, Revitalising Worcester's historic arches is a key part of our vision for the city centre. I welcome this funding that will help us unite our city's heritage and its vibrant future. The arches will become a key skills training base for the city. Professor David Green, Vice-Chancellor and Chief Executive of the University of Worcester, said the renovation and fresh use of the railway arches will create a modern 21st century centre for the creative industry in Worcester. Their growth in Worcester will enrich the city and county, encouraged by encouraging many more of our talented graduates to remain in the city. Winning this bid and the opening of the new University of Worcester Art House means that 2019 is shaping up to be a red-letter year for art, culture, creativity and industry in the city. Laura Worsfold, Chief Executive of Seven Arts, added, This will have a significant impact on, in, on transforming this part of the city into a vibrant new artistic quarter for everyone. Rupert Davison, Joint Director and Proprietor of the Burger Shop in the Arches, said, This exciting news will not only benefit our business, <coughs> it will be the start of the creation of a new fantastic independent quarter for Worcester. Mark Chislett, co-founder of Method Coffee Roasters in the Arches, said, Relocating our business to Worcester Arches last year, we could see the huge potential of the area. I think the success of this bid is a huge piece of news for Worcester. <coughs> City centres need to work harder than ever to stand out and attract visitors. Councillor Lucy Hodgson, County Council Cabinet Member for Communities, said this investment will be a huge boost for tourism. The redeveloped arches will offer something new and exciting to residents and visitors. Revitalising the arches is a key part of Worcester's draft city centre master plan, currently under consideration by the, by the City Council. Restaurant workers will be distributing food to the homeless tonight. And this was from Thursday's edition. That's tonight. Staff from Balti Mahal are offering the food as part of a project called Local Love to tackle homelessness in the city. Mazidul Hassan Shakil and his uncle Saiful Islam will be serving traditional biryani dishes to the homeless community near Crown Gate Shopping Centre and the River Seven between 5pm and 6pm. Mr Shakil said, We are aware there's an increase of homelessness in the city which is very saddening. We want to set an example for others to follow by our project Local Love. We must unite together to tackle homelessness. We're hoping to serve around 20 to 30 people. He added, Local love is about creating love between businesses and people from Worcester to work together to make the city a safe, harmonious place. We are so blessed to have a roof over our head and food on the table, which we take for granted. We must take a step back and understand we have poverty near us. A new ward at Worcestershire Royal Hospital is now open, with the first patients already being moved in. The new 28-bed Avon 5 ward is connected by a bridge to the main building to make moving patients easier for staff. Access to the ward, located on the second floor of Aikenbury East, comes via the new £3 million link bridge, which was opened on the same day. 
A Worcestershire Acute Health Trust spokesman said the ward would help the hospital cope with increased winter pressures, saying, We continue to work closely with our partners across the health and care system to manage winter pressures. Further additional bed capacity at the Worcestershire Royal Hospital and the Alexander Hospital in Redditch will be in place in the coming weeks. We would like to say a huge thank you to all staff who have been involved in the development of both the bridge and the ward in the past weeks and months. These important developments form part of a comprehensive winter plan which will see more beds in place across the Trust in the coming weeks to help improve patient flow through our hospitals. The ward was opened on Wednesday January the 16th and the first patient was moved in on the same day. John Smith, Worcestershire County Council Cabinet Member for Health and Wellbeing, said we are always pleased to see more beds opening across the Worcestershire Acute Trust. Winter can mean an increase in pressure on our NHS services and the new Avon 5 ward at Worcestershire Royal Hospital is a real positive step to helping reduce this pressure over the winter period and into the future. In the same week that the new ward opened, Matthew Hopkins, Chief Executive of the Worcestershire Acute NHS Trust, said they were doing all they could to cope with increased demands and waiting times. This came after a Worcester resident complained about waiting times after seeing ambulances queuing up outside the hospital. Mr Hopkins said that additional bed capacity would be provided soon with the Avon 5 ward opening in the same week. Another Worcester resident praised the hospital for the care her husband received despite him spending 12 hours on a trolley suffering from kidney stones. Right now I have a piece about the theatre with tributes to a great actor. They have been paid to a city-born actor after his death at the age of 57 and he was Richard Swearon who was best known for playing Joseph in Bill Kenwright's long-running hit production of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. He died on January the 8th with his partner David Steadman by his side. Worcester News readers paid tribute on our social media pages, including relative Laura Oldbury who wrote, Such sad news. R.I.P. my lovely cousin, now reunited with his beloved dad, mum and brother. Andrew Burford said, Sad, I remember seeing him at Morgan Theatres in Joseph as a kid. He was a very good actor. Naomi King said, a wonderful friend, Joseph and all the round, an all-round guy sadly missed. Tanith Messenger said, a wonderful friend and amazing actor. I have set up a group in his memory, friends, family, anyone who saw him in a show or knew him is welcome. She added that the Facebook group can be found at Richard Swearon Memories. Mr. Swearon got the role of Joseph after being recommended by Barbara Windsor to Bill Kenwright, who then cast him as Joseph, which he played throughout the UK. Mr. Swearon also danced with Strictly's Arlene Phillips in Hot Gossip and in Oklahoma with friend Bonnie Langford. Bill Kenwright Productions released details of the funeral arrangements. The service is taking place 
at Shrewsbury Crematorium at 11.30 a.m. on Wednesday, January the 30th, with a wake following at the Mitten and Mermaid Hotel in Shrewsbury. Anybody who wants to make a donation in memory of Mr. Warren is asked to send the money to seven hospice, Apley Castle, Telford, TF16RH. And just to close with then some of those useful telephone numbers. Out of hours medical help, 6 to 8 p.m., 0300 NHS, non-emergency, 111. Worcester Live, which includes Swan Theatre, Huntingdon Hall and Henry Sandon Hall, 01905 611427. Malvern Theatre 01684 892277. Worcester Hub for Council Matters 01905 765765 or 7222233. Crime Stoppers Zero eight zero zero five 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 one 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 and Samaritans one one six one two three, which is a free phone number. Well, now we've reached the end of this recorded edition. Many thanks to Paddy, Hugh, Kate, and also to Duncan, our engineer. We hope you've enjoyed listening and that you'll come back for more next week. So it's best wishes from me, Evelyn, and from all of the team. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.